Welcome to Mindless, a semi-serious podcast where two friends try to figure out how to be mindful, manifest their best lives, and love themselves. My name is Lorena Schutt. And I'm Kelly Niner. Join us while we try to figure out how to be more and mind less. Hi, Lorena. Hi, Kelly. Uh, we've got um, got a, a very intense topic today. Is that the right word for it? Intense? Is that good? Yeah, it's intense. It's heavy, but it's important. Necessary. A hundred percent. I agree with you. Very necessary. It's difficult. I, I do. We Like Kelly and I were both saying this just before we started recording. We're both pretty nervous to speak about this but yeah it's necessary yeah but I think the nervousness is kind of poignant as well (laughs) yeah we're gonna talk to you guys about privilege today and specifically white privilege even kind of going off of that that nervousness because we understand that regardless of whatever we fuck up in this episode because of our privilege we're probably still gonna be fine yeah the likelihood is is that it will all be all right in the end. Um, so it's worth making it's worth taking that quote unquote risk because this is this is something that it needs to be done. It needs to be spoken about. Where do we start? Um, I mean, we should probably start by explaining what privilege is, what it means, why we have it, why some people don't. The best way that I can describe privilege in general, not specifically in a race context, is basically the idea that on a day-to-day basis, there are things that because of certain accesses to resources, you know, things like money, power, uh, networking, socialization, your demographics, because of all these things and how they intersect, there are things in your day-to-day life that you just don't have to think about mm-hmm. that other people do. Uh, bringing this back to the topic of race, this uh, has to do with, say, for example, being able to go on a jog in your neighborhood and know that you likely won't be shot to death. Being able to walk home from the corner store as a child with a bag full of you know, goodies and not be followed by a grown man and then also shot to death. These are very obviously extreme examples to put it in a different context. Um, You know, white people are allowed to wear their hair however they like. Black people are regularly denied jobs. They are denied education because their hair is naturally different And because racist systems perpetuate the idea that their hair, exactly the way it grows out of their head, is somehow, quote unquote, unprofessional. So these tiny instances of tying certain characteristics of blackness to being lesser than, right? Mm -hmm. And if you don't have to think about that, if you don't have to think about, you know, 
oh no, I shouldn't put my hair in plates today because a school teacher might cut them off and tell them that I have to go home because my hair is not, you know, the right kind of hair for an educational setting. If you've never had to think about that, then congratulations, you have white pri- privilege. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, as someone with privilege, I don't have to think about every tiny decision, every tiny choice I make. I can just go about life not worrying that the way I look, where I'm from, anything like that affects how I'm treated in a bad way, only in a good way for me. And this is the thing too, is that, you know, we like to think about this intersectionally because that's the best way that Mm -hmm. ensures that nobody's being erased. So for Lorena and I, we are oppressed in certain ways that other people are not. And this uh, is a product of uh, the misogyny that is interwoven into the fabric of our society the same way that racism and anti-Blackness is, right? People will assume and treat us different ways because of, you know, quote unquote, being female. I personally am not, but that's a whole other bag of potatoes. Appearing female. Appearing female, exactly. But again, what does that mean? Um, Yeah, it's just a social construct. It all is. But that's what sucks is that this is all, you know, this is all stuff that, you know, society has made up and in these small ways is continuously perpetuated. And it keeps people from being able to move up in the ranks. Social mobility is not as possible or as accessible for people with specific levels of oppression, um, including particularly people of color and particularly Black people. We're not here to speak about the experience of Blackness because we don't know what that is. No, and, and we never will. Like we'll never, we'll only ever be able to see things from our perspective and that will always be a privileged perspective when it comes to this, always. Exactly, um, and The way that we try and to discuss these things is very much with the knowledge that listening to lived Black experiences, and for me especially, lived Black experiences that lie at multiple intersections of oppression. So, you know, like like queer femme Black people, you know, disabled uh, Black people, disabled queer Black people. These are the people that because... They live their lives having to negotiate not only oppression because of their blackness, but also oppression because the world isn't made for them if they are disabled. The world isn't made for them if they are queer, right? The idea of privilege comes from the fact that we have a status quo that very much reflects society back to us with the ideals that white cisgender, heterosexual, able-bodied men are in fact the norm and that everybody else is just a quote-unquote special case that we have to, you know, quote-unquote cater to. And that's a load of bullshit. (laughs) Basically, everybody, nobody fits in any of these boxes 100% perfectly, unless you are one of those people, which congratulations, you have the most power of anybody on the goddamn planet. <laughs> but yeah, so it's a lot. And uh, 
I'm aware that I'm throwing a lot out there right now, but it's because we are also aware that this particular podcast and the kind of things that we like to discuss here, you know, the spirituality community can be pretty whitewashed. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. It's extremely whitewashed, which is ironic because it's like the most, all no not the most all spiritual teachings that like nothing comes from white people <laughs> it's all borrowed from other other cultures stolen i think yeah but um you're a bit less diplomatic than me yeah <laughs> there are so many examples in history of basically like of not only religion being used as a tool for control um, but it's always to control a minority, right? Yeah. Like it's never the people in charge don't need to be controlled. They have all the power. They can do whatever they want. And I think what's also important because you mentioned what what we normally speak about in this podcast is spirituality. And we also speak a lot about mental health. And I think that's also something mental health is important for everyone, of course. However, if you're in a not privileged group you're gonna have even more issues when it comes to that you're gonna have very separate mental health issues that we will never have to deal with because our mental health concerns have nothing to do with how we look or like our race or anything anything like that and that's such an important aspect of privilege because going back to you know what we were saying earlier with the idea that you don't have to worry about something is a privilege, right? So if you consider, for example, someone who is a person of color, who is queer, who comes from a you know very low social demographic, does not make a lot of money, this person on top of having to, to consider that they might be treated differently in society solely based on the color of their skin on a regular basis, you know, having an interaction and being like, having to have that thought of, did they do that because that person is an asshole or did they do it because they're racist? Having to run that through that filter on a regular basis. And then also the filter of, did they do that because they're homophobic mm -hmm. or did they do that because they're an asshole? And then also having to run another filter of, did that person do that because they're classist or did they do that because, and this is where it becomes the mental strain, the pressure of having to risk assess like this, because at the end of the day, these things, in my opinion, are violence, they're violence on, on our mental well-being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Having to do that over and over and over for every single little thing that sounds if that sounds fucking exhausting just for a second imagine what it must be like to live it like this is your reality every single day you have to think about these things constantly and it's not a matter of just being able to brush it off because in some situations depending on where you live in the world it legitimately is a matter of life and death yeah if you don't consider that maybe that person was an asshole to me because they're homophobic, you might die. <laughs> like, So yeah, just, just considering this idea of 
you know, going back to listening to people's lived experiences, I think you guys know that I'm very much a qualitative social scientist. This is my jam, collecting this data, seeing what it says. But on top of that, allowing people their humanity by seeing them, Mm -hmm. by accepting their story, and especially people who are systemically oppressed. Like, not only do they regularly have to deal with these oppressions, but they are regularly told that they're lying or that they're blowing it out of proportion or that it must somehow not be true. Like, can you actually imagine? No, I can't. I can't. And the privilege is that I don't have to. Exactly. Exactly. I think like when I when I think about this, I really have to look at myself and realize that I technically fuck up with this all the time because it's not just in instances where you see an injustice and you say something. It's just what you said. If you if you have privilege, you don't have to be aware because that 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 is your privilege that you don't have to pay attention to it. You can turn a blind eye if you want to. And I think apart from like mistakes I maybe make when I use inappropriate wording or or anything very obvious, I think the lack of awareness is such a big thing for me that I've come to terms with because it's not an op- a lack of ava- awareness of the issue or pretending that it doesn't exist, but just like simple things like not even noticing a lack of a representation of specific groups when I'm somewhere, not even, not even that, that not even crossing my mind. The thing is when you have privilege, you need to make an active effort to stand up for anyone who suffers due to your privilege, like racism, sexism, any form of oppression can be so subtle because it's so ingrained in society that as a person with privilege, you have to make an active effort to notice it and to then take action because it's really subtle, but it's still there and it's affecting everyone who suffers from it permanently, constantly. I think a, a really good example of that and what we're talking about, the sociological term for that, for these small kind of like drops of water in the bucket that create this covert racism in our society that isn't obvious to anybody unless you have to experience it yourself. Um, These are microaggressions. Mm -hmm. Like a really easy example is when white people ask black people if they can touch their hair. I didn't even know that that happened. Yeah, it happens a lot. And I think it's, um, I think a lot of white people genuinely think that they're being like flattering (laughs) when they ask, but they don't realize how othering it is because you obviously wouldn't ask Sasha yeah. if like you could touch her hair. But as soon as like your other friend comes in and they've got like twists or box braids or cornrows or whatever, people are like, or even worse, if you fucking touch a black person's hair without asking as well. Mm-hmm. Can we just put a blanket statement that you can't touch people without their consent ever? Yeah, actually, this 
this reminds me of something that I've experienced personally and it had completely slipped my mind. But when I lived in India, someone did this to me because they had never seen a white person before. So they, they just right out touched me. So I was once in this position and I remember how horrible it felt, but that was once like that happened to me once. That's nothing that will probably ever happen to me again. Yeah, it's it's a very specific context as well, you know, like, and this is this is also why I wanted to start off by saying that, like, anti-blackness and racism is a global issue. It does not only exist in one country. Yeah. And that is a perfect example of that where you're in a specific context that you can get out of, right? Like, you can leave. A Black person, no matter where they go, the likelihood is they will always experience racism. Always. Yeah. And also, even in that situation, my privilege was apparent because the reason they touched me was because it was some sort of, oh my God, amazing, a white person. Some sort of admiration was there. Like it wasn't in an oppressive context. It was the exact opposite. Like it was still uncomfortable, of course, but it was, yeah, as you say, like that. it was a context I could get out of and it was nothing that would worry me, at least in that moment, in that situation. That's another really good point because I think what that is, is, and maybe, maybe, it, could, maybe it could be argued that it isn't, but to me, it sounds like, fetishization, which is also a form of oppression. Because if you're fetishizing someone, Mm -hmm. you're seeing them as an object and you're objectifying them based on a particular character trait. So you're still not, you're still not seeing their humanity. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There are a lot of white men, especially who will, you know, say, Oh, I'm not racist. I love dating black women. I love that. I don't I don't even want to say the phrases that they use because they're disgusting. Don't. Don't. They're gross. You can Google it. But like we'll use specific phrasing that is obviously fetishizing black women for their blackness, which then that's not empowering. Yeah. What's the opposite? Yeah, exactly. So I think I think that's a really good point. Like you made a really good point. Yeah, what what I also noticed is that I often have a fear of saying something like out of fear of saying something wrong. And I think there have been many instances where probably like I didn't speak up, although I should have, because I could just like bail out. I I didn't have I didn't have to say anything and I probably thought oh like I I could say something wrong here so I'm not going to say anything at all which is equally harmful but it's good that a you've recognized that and b brought that up as well because that's just another I mean it's just it's just another example of hiding behind privilege in a way that maybe we're not doing, you know, consciously Mm -hmm. because it's a possibility for us, right? Like white people can kind of like blend into the background or like the the other thing too, white people are allowed to have opinions. Yeah. (laughs) Um, People of color, if they have 
opinions on anything, it is almost always somehow systematically tied to like the fact that they're black or a person of color or something else. I think the thing that privilege gives us the most is this um, ability to be able to have the full human experience. And just the fact that you were allowed to have that thought process and then come back to it. Like, do you know what I mean? Like that in and of itself isn't a possibility for a lot of people. Yeah, it can take time to reflect. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. And similarly, I would not be the same person I am today if I didn't actively engage with my own racism. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that society is made on on purpose. It It has purposefully made it so that you would feel worse by saying something and making a mistake Mm -hmm. rather than trying because even that still holds up the status quo. It's silencing you. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I, I remember, I think I told you the story actually, uh, in one of the first, um, I think it was called women across the globe. It was a class I took in my undergraduate and we watched a video of like, two or so white women talking with two or so black women and it was all about race and it was all about privilege. And there was one black woman that was getting really upset with one of the white women for not understanding or at least not like immediately believing her lived experience. Mm -hmm. And the white woman kept saying, Oh, I don't know. I'm going to have to like, I'm going to have to process that later. I'm going to have to think about that. (laughs) And the black woman was like, That's the point. That's the privilege. (laughs) Yeah. But what's worse and why I wanted to tell this story is because while that is egregiously obvious to me now, at that time, I was watching it and I was like, why is that black lady screaming at that white woman? Why is she being so mean? (laughs) And that's my shit I had to unpack. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky that I had professors and peers who were willing to help me help guide me through that work. And that's the other thing, like a lot of white people don't have that. Yeah. It's not like it's necessarily like that wasn't your fault because like, that's the system you are born into, but it's still your responsibility to take and shift that and change that. It means a lot more to be able to say, You know, like, because there isn't going to be any white person that's born and is like, I am the Jesus of racism. I have never been racist. (laughs) That's never going to happen because of the fact that we all grew up with implicit biases. Mm -hmm. We all grew up, you know, with this literally like almost brainwashed with it, right? Like to see whiteness as nice and blackness as aggressive and to see to see all these things that are just like sewn in in tiny little fucked up ways. But the issue is, is that once you're made aware of it, you need to do everything you can to unlearn that stuff. And it will be a lifelong process. It's never going to end. Yeah, because it starts so early. Like probably the only time is when right when we're born, because like children are like completely innocent. But then even like subtle things that like they get taught from their parents and that's that's probably not conscious either but it's still happening it's so subtle because it's been happening for so long or then like seeing things in the news i i watched a video earlier where people were giving the example of when they grew up and this was in the united states that their whole time growing up 
there has never been a black president until Obama. There was there was never so it's although that message wasn't explicitly said like we can't have a black president. This is what you're shown. You're only shown white people or like on TV, like the black people are the bad guys, you know, or even like to to shift it to like other people of color, like uh, Kumail Nanjiani talks about this a lot. He's a comedian and he talks about how, you know, when he went in for auditions, when he was first starting out, he was always either a terrorist or a cab driver. Yeah. It, like it's this it's these kind of ideas like these nefarious connections that are made for us and then repeated over and over and over again that you know the status quo obviously doesn't want you to question because mm-hmm. then it would be harder and then it wouldn't be the status quo <laughs> no exactly unless the world completely shifts who knows i'm, I'm just trying to be optimistic Dude, I'm ready for the revolution. So I hope we're in it. Call me out. I will be at the front line. I will stand in front of you. I I will do what needs to be done. Like a hundred percent. I'm not afraid. Because <laughs> um, I don't have to be. <laughs> I am afraid, but I'm still gonna do it. And that's the point, right? Because that's where I was going. Is like I I remember reading online sometime about like if you if you have these thoughts that you're uncomfortable with, particularly if they perpetuate some kind of oppression, instead of shying away from that, really trying to force yourself to kind of think about where that came from because it came from somewhere, right? And you know, usually that means that you can lead it back to you know, the way that you saw your parents interacting with people growing up, Mm -hmm. or maybe there's a specific instance, um, or maybe there's a specific movie or show that gave you this idea that this is how people are supposed to be, which is also important because then it lets you, it gives you the opportunity to go, okay, I need to talk to that person about why they act that way, or I need to stop consuming this type of media because it's... Mm -hmm not helpful and actually quite damaging. Mm-hmm. And the other side of that as well is to make sure that if you are up for having these conversations about undoing your privilege, you're not putting the onus on people of color mm-hmm. to help you. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are exhausted enough. Exactly. As we said, this is their lived life. This isn't like a thought experiment for them in the way that it can be for people with privilege. Yeah. Also feeling sad or guilty about it, while that may help you work through these feelings, that is not necessary to be done in public. Mm -hmm. There's a term called white fragility and white women are the fucking worst for it. And it's basically this idea that because we see trying as good enough in instances of oppression that we don't have to deal with, when someone comes back around and says, it's actually not good enough, or this is actually damaging, or you could do it this way. They feel hurt. Yeah, which is okay. It's okay, you can't help your feelings, right? And like, it's it's good to be able to like, take that somewhere else and go process that, especially if you have another white person you can speak to. But like, it's not the black person's fault that you fucked up in the first place and they had to correct you. So crying about it or then what happens a lot is tone policing that person. 
saying, you don't have to be mean. Do you know what? They can do whatever the fuck they want when it comes to this stuff. So yes, they can. They can be mean. Yeah, if you're if you're complaining about that whilst having your white privilege, you're you're making it about you when it's not about you at all. We all deserve this space. If you're serious about unlearning this, then you do deserve the space to be able to process this. But behind closed doors, outside of whatever internet brand you're building for yourself, and definitely not in the presence of other people of color, because they don't need to give a shit. If there are people of color that do, God fucking bless them. And like, that is not their responsibility. Not even remotely. Yeah. So just picking up on something that I mentioned earlier, which is, uh, you know, one of the aspects of white privilege that white people have that black people do not is the ability to basically do whatever the fuck they want with their hair. I'm bringing this up because I think it segues into a very important aspect of privilege, which is cultural appropriation, particularly for black people. Understanding what cultural appropriation is and how to not do it is testament to respecting both Black people's humanity and showing that you understand that we live in a white supremacist society. So cultural appropriation in a nutshell is basically, let's be honest, mostly white people taking an aspect of another culture ethnicity or race that they will basically be able to get away with doing in a way that that culture or race does not get away with because of that person's whiteness. Mm -hmm. The example of the hair is really important because to this day, all over the world, black people are still not allowed to do the things with their hair most of the time, protective styles for their specific type of hair, right? And this is this goes back all the way throughout history as well, right? Like, this is not just a present day thing. You know, there are very specific things that are tied to black hairstyles that until a white person wears them, it's not seen as a good thing. And the issue is, is that if a white person puts their hair in box braids, first of all, your hair isn't meant for it, so stop. <laughs> then all of a sudden, it's uh, it's really cool and edgy and awesome. And all of a sudden, it's a choice based on fashion. Mm-hmm. And the whole point is, it goes back to like what you were talking about with your experience in India. A white person can always not have these hairstyles, right? Like these are not necessary for the way that our hair grows. It's a choice, yeah. And even if they are potentially treated differently for that hairstyle in a moment, at the end of the day, they are still white Mm -hmm. and they are not having to deal with the fact that the hairstyle is like considered an extension of that person's blackness. Whereas on a white person, it's just considered like a cool fucking hairstyle. Right. That's interesting. I've actually, this is a side note. I know a white person who got dreadlocks for the reason that they were really attached to their hair and 
that was in a spiritual context to kind of like lose that attachment to the to their hair so they wouldn't have to constantly think about their hair like how their hair is looking or their hair looking good so it was like the opposite of like making it fashionable but like neglecting it but like in a sense that's then also cultural appropriation because that's downplaying because at the end of the day like maybe that person will be treated differently in certain situations because they have dreads but they can always get rid of their dreads yeah do you know what i mean like a black person with a specific type of hair doesn't have that many options and a lot of them are time consuming and expensive as well so it's like I think the question that we need to be asking when it comes to cultural appropriation, it comes down to the idea that white people get upset when they told that there are things that are not for them. Yeah. And the whole point of privilege is that that's the point is that we've never been told. You can't do this. That there are things that we can't do, things that we shouldn't say. White people have never had to deal with that on a mass cultural level. Black people, however? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there are, of course, like different forms of privilege, different forms of oppression. But yeah, on this scale. And I think I think that's the thing is that is it's that someone who doesn't understand cultural appropriation isn't contending with the idea that they are privileged enough that they've never been told that they can't have something or that they shouldn't do something. Mm -hmm. The list of things that black people apparently aren't allowed to do keeps filling longer and longer. Yeah. I I think uh, cultural appropriation is also a really interesting aspect of spirituality. It often like waters incredible and important spiritual practices down because it's really easy when a white person takes something from an indigenous culture that's like a very particular spiritual practice. Um, And then they give it to the next white person and the next white person, like, first of all, it becomes watered down, but also like the source gets lost. And therefore that culture, that practice even, like it's not appreciated anymore. I would also argue that most of the time it's not that the source is lost. I think it's purposefully buried. Mm -hmm. Neglected. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was trying to think about earlier was like going back to like cultural appropriation of blackness, especially white people love their culture. They love the things that black people create. They love their music. They love their fashion. They love their hairstyles. They love their words. Like, most of the African-American vernacular English phrases that like gay white men use are actually come from black women. They love all of this shit, but they don't like blackness. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's this idea that like, Oh, we want your culture. We want everything that you make, but we don't want you. Yeah. That's fucking terrible. And makes zero sense. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Um, another aspect that this is not related to cultural appropriation, but I, I thought about it earlier in terms of um, spirituality and privilege, since this is like our main topic mostly. Yeah, as you mentioned earlier, the spiritual community 
especially online, by the way, is shockingly white and shockingly privileged and largely ignorant. <laughs> and I see a lot of people in the spiritual community advocating for love, of course, because yes, love is everything. It's who we are. It's where everything starts. But I want to say something about this in this context, uh, in the context of privilege, because a large part of spirituality revolves around the fact that we're all one. And therefore, you usually go inward and look at yourself to do that. So you get to know yourself. And this is also what I experienced during my ayahuasca journeys, because the plant forces you to look at yourself to go within. Um, it shows you your blind spots. And part of getting to know yourself and loving yourself is looking into the shadow. And this relates to what we said earlier in this, this episode. It's about making the unconscious conscious. And looking into the shadow is not just looking at the things that I don't like about myself in general. It's also looking at the things I'm doing wrong, the mistakes I'm making, where I'm ethically and morally wrong, whether that's conscious or not, like... As, as we said earlier, it doesn't matter if that's my direct fault or if it's ingrained in me because of how I've grown up or how our society is. But I think it's so bad like that, that the spiritual community is largely so ignorant because I think that's part of spirituality to give a shit. I think part of spirituality as a white person or any type of privilege that you may have is becoming aware of that privilege and taking responsibility for it. And I need to take responsibility for my own racism or sexism, my own unconscious bias. And I need to make it conscious in order to make a change. And I need to take ownership and responsibility of everything I'm doing wrong and then I need to stand up for those that are oppressed. And I, I think that with being spiritual comes being an activist, being an ally, being aware, taking action and not being ignorant. That is spiritual. That is deep spiritual work. And if you want to be spiritual, that's mandatory. You can't say you're spiritual and then you're just looking at the love and the light and ignoring everything that's happening in the world, even if, and I, I believe this, I believe we're living in a dream. I believe we're all living in our own lucid dream. I've said it plenty of times. It's all an illusion, but we are still moving around here in the physical and people are hurting and people are affected by things so you need to take responsibility for it. And if you want to lead with love, then leading with love means to stand up for the people that are getting the hate, for the people that are suffering. And that's also self-love. Self-love means taking responsibility for your own actions and admitting mistakes and fixing them and changing them and holding yourself accountable for the shit that you're doing and the shit you've done in the past and the shit you're going to do tomorrow and being spiritual is looking at that and sitting with the discomfort of that guilt and being okay with that and knowing that that's not a big price to pay and being spiritual is using your privilege actively to stand up 
and to fight, to shift the paradigm, to drive change, and not to stick with the status quo. And that's what love and spirituality is really about. So being ignorant is not an option when you're spiritual. Inexcusable, in my opinion. And I think um, you opened the conversation to something, probably the last thing we're going to talk about because we are running out of time. Mm -hmm. But because there's this emphasis in the spiritual community on love and this idea that we are all one, the thing that I have seen the most in the past couple of weeks, not even just in the past couple of weeks, it's quite common, but obviously now it's like more out there. You've paid more attention to it in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to ignore, which is a good thing. We should all be able to not ignore this. But white spiritual people either doing two, one of two things or both using the idea that we are all one to kind of segue into this idea that like, I don't see color, mm -hmm. which is really harmful because as a white person, if you're saying to a person of color that you don't see their color, then what you are essentially doing is dismissing their lived experience of oppression based on their skin color. Exactly. Because they obviously are a different color. They get told regularly by institutions and people that they should be treated differently because of this. So saying that you don't see their color, like it's self-serving and bullshit. Yeah. And it's ironic because this idea that we are all one, that should drive you to stand up for people that are oppressed and not, not negate that. Like that should drive you to do the opposite. That should, if you're driven by love and by unity, collective consciousness, then that's your duty. That's exactly what you have to do. You have to get active and not shut it down. That's like shutting it down, being ignorant is the opposite of thinking we're all one. Because if you think we're all one, then you're going to support everyone like they're your brother because they are yeah like listen to that person's experience take it for fact the whole idea of all of us being one doesn't mean that all of us have the same lived experience like that somehow your lived experience is more valid than that other person's for some reason but there's that and then the second thing i've been seeing a lot is a lot of people using all lives matter oh for fuck's sake i can't i can't <laughs> I genuinely unfollowed a witchy account that I followed earlier this morning because she posted this long motherfucking diatribe, like in all caps, like Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, Human Life Matters. Loads of people in the comments are trying to be like, this is besides the point right now. Yeah. For those of you that don't understand why All Lives Matter is problematic, it's because it's doing basically the same thing as as saying i don't see color you're dismissing the specific violence and the specific oppression that people of color and particularly black people are experiencing right now cuz the whole idea is that obviously all lives matter exactly but not everybody is being murdered right now <laughs> so. exactly if you think that all lives matter which yeah obviously they do then you have to support black lives matter and like take your own privilege aside and use it for something productive and if it feels uncomfortable again i beseech you 
go into that figure out why figure out where that comes from that's the first step into undoing all of this shit right like I mean, it's so similar to shadow work, like that. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at that. Like, if you're spiritual, you have to, you have to look into the shadow, and you have to get to know yourself. And through that, like that, that is that taking that emotional charge, taking that uncomfortableness and taking ownership for it and doing something productive with it, having uncomfortable conversations, and standing up for others. Basically, just do something. <laughs> Don't be silent. Yeah. And, and admit that sometimes you're wrong. Yeah, this is what we were saying as well is like, Lorraine and I were very nervous to record this. I still feel this nervousness. And I've like, I felt it the whole, the whole recording through. Because a part of me feels like this is not like I because I don't have that perspective. I don't know what it's like. So a part of me is like, I shouldn't be speaking about this. But then, as you say, like, we're in a position where we're listened to, we're heard. And, you know, Google is free. Uh, <laughs> the best the best thing you can do is just educate yourself. We're going to put loads of books, movies, other podcasts y'all should listen to. This is difficult work, but it you have to know that it starts with you making an effort, mm -hmm. right? Because unless people of privilege decide to become a part of this fight, there is no way that anything is going to change. Yeah. And making an effort means making an effort on a daily basis, calling people out calling out your friends and family and making making yourself more aware like what I said before that I often like don't even ask myself oh why is there no one of color in this room why why is there no one of color in, included in this conversation why is there no trans person included in this con like often I don't even notice so like Even if you just ask yourself like once a day, just ask yourself those questions and sit with that and see see what you can improve and how you can take action. And know as well that if somebody does call you out or, you know, call you in or at least correct you in some way or the other, um, say thank you. And uh, if they're another person, if they're another white person, Ask if they maybe have, you know, the emotional capacity to help you process that a bit further. Do not assume that they do. And especially if they're a person of color, do not expect that they are going to hold your hand. Because, mm -hmm. again, it's not – they don't have to. <laughs> yeah. So that's a lot for y'all to think about. Uh, I'm really curious to see what uh, kind of feedback we get. Obviously – You know, our stance on this is not going anywhere. So, um, yeah, again, constructive criticism, always welcome. Yeah. Um, but if, if this isn't something that you vibe with, then this is obviously not your podcast. <laughs> but yeah, we've got lots of other good topics for you guys. We hope that for those of you who do have white privilege, do the work. Yeah, do something. And as always, we love you very much. And we'll talk to you next time. Yeah. Bye. Bye.